One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Today we've got a nuclear revenge story involving bullet ants. We'll get to that in a bit, but first, how I got back at my coworker for taunting me about my acne. I used to have a face as smooth as a baby's buttocks, I swear. In high school, when most of the girls had acne and were breaking out badly, my skin didn't do that. My face was so smooth that it started to bother me at some point that I wasn't experiencing puberty like my friends and the other girls in my class. Girls were having really bad cases of acne, having to see dermatologists and using the weirdest stuff on their faces because we were told that those things made acne disappear. I remember my best friend constantly washing her face with apple cider vinegar and coating her face with toothpaste. We tore out pages addressing acne from teen magazines and passed them amongst ourselves. Your face is so refreshing, my best friend would say, holding my face between her palms. Not having acne was cool at the time, because all the girls had it. There were very few of us who didn't have it at all. Some girls had it only when they were close to getting their periods, and some others, like my best friend, had it worse. In my sophomore year in college, things took a turn. It started when I returned to school for my mom's funeral. My mom had lost the battle with cancer after battling with it for eight years. When we first found out that she was ill, it was in its early stages. She underwent treatment and became cancer-free, but it returned two years later in a different part of her body. We knew she would die. The doctors had prepared us and she was prepared. We were all prepared too. At least, I thought I was prepared. On a Wednesday night when I was studying for my test, my dad called me and I knew what had happened. I packed a bag and flew home. After the funeral, I returned to campus, determined to continue with my life and not allow my mom's death to prevent me from living. It was what she would have wanted. She told my siblings and me to never allow what was happening to her to interrupt our lives. Even when she was ill and spent her life in and out of the hospital, she would encourage us to leave her and spend time with friends. I may be dying, but you need to be living, she would say with a weak smile on her wrinkly face. The first week was hard. I would break down in tears and class and feel indifferent towards something all of a sudden, even something as routine as doing the dishes. I could be doing my laundry and just stop. Life didn't make sense anymore. The next week, I noticed a few zits on my forehead. I didn't think much of it. As time went by, I sunk deeper and deeper into depression. I had to go home to my dad for a month. It was living in my parents' house again, being fondly reminded of the beautiful life that my mom lived, of the memories we had together, that I healed. I soon got better. I became comfortable with referring to her in the past tense, and I started to care about mundane stuff. One day, I was brushing my teeth, and for the first time in a very long time, I looked at my reflection in the mirror, and what I saw horrified me. My face was filled with big, red acne. They were all over my face, and I nearly screamed. My face had gone from supple and smooth to tired, botched, and so busy with acne that I almost had no space on my face that was acne-free. When I returned to school, I experienced a different life than I had before. 
It's funny how something that tiny changed my life. It changed the way people looked at me. It changed the kind of comments I got on dates. It changed the way people speak to me, too. I can be just going about my day having fun, studying, sitting on a bench on campus, or just staring into space. And someone would walk up to me and go, I know just what will make your acne disappear. I got so much unsolicited advice that I started expecting it. I was in the library one day, and might I add the quietest part of the library, when a girl came over as she walked out and dropped a note on the table where I was studying. I had seen her when she walked in, and I remember being very amused by her pink outfit and hair. She wore a sky blue skirt, but the rest of her outfit was pink. It turned out that she was as amused by my face as I was by her outfit, because she dropped off a note with a cream and pill written on it. She also ended her note with, good luck, and a smiley face. I had come to understand that, as much as it was unsolicited, some people genuinely meant well when they shared tips with me or told me what helped with their acne. Maybe see a dermatologist, my best friend from high school suggested many times. I said I will someday. Right now I don't have the time. I have a degree to finish, I would tell her. What I didn't tell her was that I had no problems with my acne. Yes, it was shocking at first, but for a long time after my mom was diagnosed again, I felt guilt. I felt horrible about the fact that she was tied to machines in the hospital while I could move around as I wanted to. When I went off to college, I felt bad about going away from her. I was going to stay back, but she wasn't having any of it. She always wanted us to go out, live our lives, and not bother too much with her, and I did. I went to college and did very well in freshman year. I felt very guilty about that too. When she died and I got the acne, I felt kind of good about it. I felt like I was truly mourning her. Before that, I felt very guilty about returning to school. Getting acne and the ghastly scars made me feel like I truly loved my mother. Like her death changed something about me. I never told anyone that though, except my shrink years later. I graduated with great grades, which was expected, since all I did in college was study, sleep, and have crushes on the geekiest lecturer. I got a fine job in finance after college, and frankly, it was all that I had dreamed about, to be an employee of a nice company. A well-paying 9-to-5 was my dream for me. I had worked in my job for a year when my firm employed someone new, and I was to share an office with her. The co-worker I used to share the office with was promoted and had to move offices. While everyone was on our floor, and me in particular was happy about his promotion, I was sad that he had to leave. He was simply an amazing person to work with. He showed me the ropes when I first came in, he told me who to avoid and who to befriend, who to never break the rules around, and what time it was okay to sneak in and nap. He was just a great guy, and what was the most interesting was our constant gossip. Yes, he was my gossip partner too. My dad had been skeptical about being so close to a coworker, but he changed his mind when he met him. He just knew when to be serious and productive and when to laugh his heart out. We were so close that he met my dad and brother and I met his fiance. Anyway, when the new employee came in, I tried to tell her what my former coworker was to me. I showed her around the office, helped clear out her desk, and even joked around. She was receptive and just as lovely, so it seemed, so I relaxed around her. 
For a month, we had a great time at work. We shared office gossip and exchanged eye rolls and other kinds of gesticulation at meetings, and it was fun. After a month, however, I noticed that my coworker was not just exchanging cheap gossip with me like the previous one, she was quite mean. For instance, my ex-coworker would joke about our team leader's signature hat. She wore big hats to work every day, it was just hilarious, but he would never say anything mean about her or her personal life. This new coworker, however, had no limits. She once told me that she thought our team leader's new baby was extremely ugly. I was not comfortable with that because that was just mean. Also, we all knew that she'd been trying hard to have a baby with her husband, so we were happy when she finally got the chance to adopt one. I shifted uncomfortably when she said that. Some other time, another coworker had to take a leave because she had just had a messy divorce in the process of leaving an abusive marriage, and the new coworker mocked her about it. If my partner had a face like that, I'd hit them too, she said, laughing so hard that tears trickled down her face. I thought that was a very mean thing to say, so I frowned. I don't think it's okay to joke about domestic violence, I said coldly, but she didn't stop laughing. I stopped joking around and talking about random gossip with her ever since. She made the most inappropriate jokes and I wasn't comfortable with that. I noticed she got the memo and soon started hanging out with a coworker who had just left the abusive marriage. They went everywhere together and the other coworker would always come over to our office for a chat. They would talk in whispers and it kind of bothered me but I soon learned to shrug it off and ignore them. One day the other coworker left her office and she laughed out loud. Curious about why she was laughing. I asked and she told me everything her work friend had told her in secret. She and her ex-husband had been sleeping together after their divorce. I was shocked as she shared that with me because the work friend had told her that in a whisper. She certainly did not want me to know her business like that. What she told me next was not as shocking as what she said next. I knew she was lying about the whole abuse thing. What? I wasn't sure I heard her well. She says, yeah, if your ex-husband was truly abusive, would you go back to sleep with him? She rolled her eyes. I couldn't even argue with her. I just couldn't believe that someone could be that mean and uninformed. That's a very ignorant thing to say, I finally said. Yeah, well, that's a very ignorant face to carry around. You need to fix all that acne before pointing fingers, she yelled. I was hurt and avoided her ever since I'd confided in her about what happened to my face. We had only ever talked about work since that day, and she stayed out of my way too. One day, I was just leaving the parking lot when I saw the coworker who had left an abusive marriage. I smiled and said hello, but she ignored me. I figured she didn't hear me, so I went closer and said hello. How dare you try to talk to me after all that you've said about me? I was confused. I would have thought she was joking if I hadn't seen the fire in her eyes. She was really pissed. I said, what are you on about? She says, I know you've been going around telling everyone I lied about my ex-husband hitting me. I gasped. I knew my coworker had done that and understood why she was mad. I politely explained to her that it was her work friend who had been going around telling other people in the office that. She didn't look like she believed me, but her countenance softened up. How do I know that's true? I said, I know you do, because I'm sure she's told you things about me and even everyone in this office too. 
This is what she does. She gossips. She says, She did tell me that you got your acne after your mom died and you developed a mental illness. I was livid. Did she say something about me? My other colleague asked. You know what? I'll tell you when we get to the office, but could you please not confront her yet? She nodded. I allowed her to go into the office before going up because I needed to compose myself properly. I have good news, I told everyone. I exchanged greetings with that morning. I informed the team leader that I had some good news to share and would like everyone to come together so I could share it. Please don't tell me you're getting married. I'm tired of women quitting their jobs and moving to new states because of a ring, she said. I could barely see her face underneath her bright red hat. No, I'm not getting married, I assured her. That afternoon, my team leader had everyone, including the new co-worker and the one who had gotten a divorce, gathered in the conference room, and she told them I had news for everyone. I stood up and told everyone that the co-worker with whom I shared the same office had been going around telling people things about me, so I would love for her to say it to my face. This is high school all over again, I heard one of my colleagues say. I told everyone about the mean things she said about each of them. Interestingly, she had told some of them that I said those things about them. I understood then why some people had been unusually cold towards me. When I told everyone that she said our team leader's child was ugly, our team leader lost it and nearly got into a physical fight with her. My little meeting turned out to be a general confession. Everyone mentioned what she had said about everyone. When we were done, she walked out and avoided everyone for the rest of the day. Exposing her didn't cost her the job, but everyone hated her and avoided her. No one ever invited her to their private parties or even to happy hour. She was socially ostracized till I got a promotion and left that floor. By the way, my face is almost back to being as fresh as a baby's butt. I spoke to a shrink and it worked wonders for my skin. I think the bottom line here more than anything, I think everybody can benefit from a little bit of therapy. Our next story is, Bully stole my necklace, so I filled his gym bag with bullet ants. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Storytime is sponsored by BetterHelp. Nearly everyone at some point in their life will struggle with their mental health, whether that's something stressful at work, in a personal relationship, or something else. I know that I really struggled with anxiety in my early 20s and therapy was a massive help for me. That's why I'm a massive fan of therapy and today's sponsor, BetterHelp. If there is anything in your life, big or small, that is negatively affecting you, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. 
It's an online therapy service that after finishing a small questionnaire will match you with a licensed therapist where you can book appointments that match up with your schedule at any place or any time. And if you feel like you're not bonding with your therapist, you can switch at any point for free. Also, therapy isn't just if you're struggling with mental health. If you're looking for guidance or ways to improve your social skills, life, or relationships, it's a great judgment-free way of doing that. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com StorytimePod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash StorytimePod. For the years in elementary school and middle school, I've been a sure target for bullying. It was as though I carried a placard that said, Please bully me, which was invisible to me but visible to bullies everywhere. I had never gone one day in school without being teased, taunted, or beaten up, and it usually ends the same way. They see something with me that they like, and they take it from me after giving me a good beating. I never really cared at the time. There wasn't much I could do. I wasn't tall. I had a small stature and an even smaller circle of nerd friends who couldn't fight to save their lives. Besides, the school didn't help matters. When I reported the bullying, they gave the people responsible detention, but that was where it ended. After their detention ended, they continued the bullying, and it got even worse than before. As I said, I didn't care, it wasn't something I couldn't handle. They never took anything of value from me, just some Marvel action figures and some money. But all that changed in my freshman year of high school. A bully with the name Jacob collected my mom's necklace. The one thing she gave me when she died, and the only thing I had of her. I didn't let that go, so I decided to unleash all my rage on him. I taught him a lesson that he would never forget in his life. But let's begin with the story of the necklace. It all started one bright Saturday morning, a few weeks before my 8th grade final exams. I came down for blueberry pancakes, as we did every weekend, but the kitchen was empty that day. No sign of my mom or her delicious pancakes. That was weird. My mom never slept in, not even when she worked overtime the day before. I went to her room and, to my surprise, there she was, still asleep. I walked into that room and the creaking floorboards stirred her awake. She smiled at me and explained that she was a bit under the weather and she needed some rest. I did the cooking that day, which was a disaster because the pancakes were more burnt than fried. She didn't get better the next day, so she decided to go for a checkup on Monday. I went to school as usual and when I got back she was already home making a late lunch. That was kind of surprising because she usually worked till late. We settled down for some burgers and fries and I asked her how the doctor's appointment went. She didn't answer for a while and I could tell that something was wrong. I was about to ask again when she turned to me with a smile and said that everything was fine. I didn't believe her because ever since I came home she'd been acting weird. She was usually quite playful and chatty. I never had a dad growing up but I never felt alone in my life. She was always enough to make two parents, but that night she was quiet and brooding. When I pressed further, she said that she was still somewhat ill and needed rest. She rose from the table and walked into her room. She didn't come out till the next day. I was pretty bothered about her, but there wasn't much I could do. Besides, I had to study for my final exams. I was a top tier student and I needed to keep my grades up to qualify for a scholarship after high school. A few days after my mom's doctor's appointment, I came home to see her discussing with a woman in a pantsuit. I didn't recognize the woman, but at that point, I didn't care. I had Spanish exams the next day, my first paper. 
Spanish wasn't my strong suit, so I had to put in extra work to do well. That night, I came downstairs to get some orange juice. My mom was sitting in the living room, watching a series she'd been putting off for months. I asked her who the woman in the pantsuit was, and she explained that she was thinking of moving back in with her parents. I remember thinking it was odd, because my grandparents lived in a different state. Why would she want to move back in with them? She explained that she needed someone to take care of them, and she'd gotten a job offer there that paid more. Also, she won't be spending as much on bills. She could get some savings that would come in handy when I started college. It seemed like a spontaneous decision, but she seemed to have put a lot of thought into it, and there was nothing I could do to convince her otherwise. Eventually, I came to terms with the fact that I was going to need to change schools after exams. A few weeks and long nights of sleeping off on my books later, I was done with my exams. My mom wasted no time in moving us to my grandparents' place, and once again, I didn't get the kind of reaction I was expecting from them when we got there. Grandpa was always smiling brightly, and he always had jokes to tell, but that day, they had this solemn look on their face, and I knew for sure that something was wrong. I turned to my mom and demanded that she should tell me what was going on. She sighed and promised to tell me when we got settled, so after a few hours I asked her again. That was when she broke the terrible news that changed my life forever. The time she went to the hospital for a checkup, the doctor found out that she had stage 4 cancer and she had less than 10 weeks to live. I couldn't believe my ears. How was that possible? She seemed fine. How on earth could she have metastasized cancer? It didn't make any sense. And if she had less than 10 weeks to live, that meant she would be dead before the end of the summer holiday. It all started to make sense. She brought me to my grandparents' place and put the house up for sale because she won't be around long anymore. That summer holiday was the worst three months of my life. I tried to put on a brave face for my mom and I never left her side as her health deteriorated. Nine weeks and three days later, she slept and didn't wake up. I was inconsolable. I locked myself in my room and cried till I couldn't cry anymore. Then I'd go to sleep, wake up and repeat the cycle all over again. The funeral was held a few days after the end of the summer holiday, but I continued to stay at home even though school was in session. My grandparents gave me enough time to myself, but after a month at home, they decided that it was time for me to go to school because that was what my mom wanted. I listened to them and I started freshman year a month late. On the first day of my return to school, my grandma handed me a silver necklace. It had a tiny locket which had a picture of me and my mom in our old house. I smiled softly, tears flowing freely from my eyes as I stared at the necklace. We looked so happy in the picture. Grandma told me that it was my mom's necklace and she wanted to give it to me before she died. I thanked her and put on the necklace. It looked pretty old fashioned with the locket but I loved it and I wore it proudly to school. My first day as a freshman in high school was pretty lonely. I didn't have any friends from middle school and because my grandparents lived in a small town, everybody knew everybody and they all hung out in groups. I was the odd one out. I didn't care because I was still missing my mom and everything else, school, my social life, and life itself seemed irrelevant. A week after I resumed, I went to the cafeteria to eat lunch. 
There was an old desk at the far end of the hall and people rarely sat there. That made the table my favorite spot to eat lunch. I walked over to my table and sat down to eat my burger. A few minutes later, a guy walked up to my table. He set a tray down and then sat down right across from me. He said hi and we ate in silence. By the end of the lunch break, I left the seat without a word and walked out of the cafeteria. This happened a few more times before the guy spoke to me one day. He introduced himself as Marcus. He was a sophomore student and a biology nerd. He asked why I was always so mopey and, even though I didn't want to discuss my mom's death, the fact that Marcus was as reserved as I was made me feel at ease with him. I told him about my mom's cancer and how I moved to my grandparents' house. He told me it was going to get better. He explained that he lost his dad a few years ago and he thought that he wasn't ever going to be okay. It became better. I nodded and thanked him because, in a way, I felt a lot better after that talk. Over the next few months, I started to feel like my old self again. Even though I still think about my mom every day, the pain had started to heal, and the fact that I had something of hers helped speed up the process. I started to hang out more often with Marcus. We'd go to his place or mine to play games and just hang out. He had a whole artificial colony of bullet ants, which I thought was cool. He also introduced me to some of his other friends in sophomore year. A few days after the midwinter break, Marcus and I were talking about something outside the school building at the end of the school day. We were so engrossed in the discussion that we didn't notice the seniors that walked up to us. I turned around when one of them grabbed me by the back of my shirt. Their leader accused us of insulting him by not acknowledging their presence. I didn't know what to say. Before that day, I hadn't experienced any form of bullying and I thought it was going to be that way forever. Marcus quickly apologized and pulled out a $10 bill he had at the back of his pocket and handed it to him. They let him go and then turned to me. I was required to hand him the money I had with me, so I reached into my pocket and pulled out the $20 bill I had with me and gave it to him. The guy smiled and they all walked away. I turned to Marcus and asked what that was all about and he explained that Jacob, the leader of the bullies, was a straight-A student and the most talented player on the football team. He would have been the perfect student except for the fact that he was a bully who derives a sick pleasure from picking on people who seemed weak. The worst thing was that, because of his talents, the teachers found it extremely difficult to scold him whenever he did something wrong. One time, he bullied a kid and the boy reported it to a teacher. The teacher decided to give Jacob detention, and one day, out of the blue, Jacob announced that he was quitting the football team since he had to serve detention. The teacher had to cancel his detention so he wouldn't quit the team. He eventually went back to bullying the boy, till the boy changed schools. I shrugged it off and walked away. I wasn't new to the concept of bullying, and as long as you give them what they want, they'd leave you alone. This happened for a few weeks, until one day, after lunch, Marcus and I left the cafeteria heading toward our different lockers. We were about to split apart when Jacob and his friends surrounded us. Jacob asked for what he called his daily tribute, but when I dug my hand inside my back pocket, I couldn't find the $5 bill I stuck in there that morning. I checked all my pockets and eventually concluded that I'd lost the money. I tried explaining this to Jacob, but he wouldn't listen. He pushed me against one of the lockers. And as he did, my mom's silver locket peeked out of my shirt. He snatched the necklace from my neck and then walked away. I was dumbfounded. 
For the first five minutes, I just stood there. I didn't know whether to be sad or mad. Jacob just stole the one thing that made me feel closer to my mom. I choose the latter. I decided that I was done with all the bullying, and all I wanted to do at the time was to get my revenge. I turned to Marcus, and I whispered five simple words to him. They're gonna pay for this. That same day, after school, I started to brainstorm ways to get back at Jacob that won't be traced back to me. A few days later, as Marcus and I sat at the cafeteria, I'd almost given up on the whole revenge when it hit me. Marcus had a whole colony of bullet ants. That's it. I turned to Marcus and explained my plan to him, and even though he wasn't pleased about the prospect of sparing a few ants in his colony, he joined in on the plan. A few days later, Marcus came to school with a jar of bullet ants. We watched Jacob and his friends leave the locker room to go to football practice. When the locker room was empty, we walked in, then went straight for his locker. We pulled out his duffel bag to dump the ants, but luckily I found my mom's necklace by the side of the bag. He had damaged the hook with the way he yanked it off my neck. I stuck the necklace into my bag, and then we opened the jar, and then dumped 11 pieces of bullet ants into the bag. He'd worn his gym clothes to practice, and his normal clothes were in the duffel bag. We zipped it closed, then left the locker room in a hurry. Some 30 minutes later, we were in the cafeteria, when we saw the students leaving the cafeteria in a hurry. We followed them to see what was going on. We didn't need to ask anybody. When we got to the hallway, we saw Jacob on the ground in his normal clothes, screaming in pain and crying like a baby. As he struggled to pull them off, he pulled off his shirt and jeans in the hallway as he ran around trying to shake off the ants which were still biting him. Marcus and I laughed as he jumped around trying to pull off his pants. If I wasn't so mad at him, I might have felt sorry for him, but I didn't. You don't mess with people unless you're ready to be bitten by bullet ants. I mean, the biggest bottom line is you don't bully people unless you're ready for some kind of retribution. If you're going to bully people, you need to accept that there may very well be a target placed upon your back. You just aren't sure when they might strike. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another absolutely crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.